This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. New and used car prices are finally hitting the pause button as more supply hits the market. But there are other reasons for the price drops too, and we'll tell you about them and how they could affect you. They're probably affecting you even if you don't know it. Hyundai has announced it is going to spend billions developing software-defined vehicles. How about that, Chris? Software-defined vehicles. We'll tell you what that means and how it could affect what you buy in the future. First, we have to figure out what it means, but we will by the time we talk about it. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash autoinsurance. That's DrivingToday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. We're a show that leads the league in hyphens. Chris. I'm Jack Nerad. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Bearded Chris Teague, looking very dapper. Chris lives at one end of the country. I live on the other. And each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how you can get the most out of your car dollar. Chris, I'm curious. We haven't talked for a week. Uh, you had a week off. How are things going in Maine? Are the trees changing color? Has it snowed? I like what's going on? I'm going to take the, the camera and show you everything is bright orange outside right now. The leaves are beautiful. Have not snowed. We've had a couple of frosts, but uh, today's actually pretty warm. Nice 65 degrees. Ah, lovely. Lovely. Well, we've had some rain here in Southern California, which, uh, you know, makes the papers here. I guess there aren't papers anymore. It's lead on the news. <laughs> you know, people are tweeting about it. Uh, what's your road test vehicle this this week? I drove the Acura Integra. Jack, super exciting car. Manual transmission. Can't wait to talk about it. Wow, 2023 Acura Integra. I, I like that name coming back. In the road test segment, I will be road testing the all-new 2023 Kia Niro EV. I just had a chance to drive it here in Southern California, and I drove it along with some of the top Kia product planners. I put them in the passenger seat. I made one of them kind of sick to his stomach. I, I think it was my driving rather than my talking, but I'm not sure which. Uh, but I'll have their insight into the cars, too. We have a great interview for you, too. Tavon Brooks is our special guest. He's vice president of product management at Jeep, and we'll be talking about the all-new long wheelbase Wagoneer L. I drove that up in uh, Montana not long ago. But before we do anything else, we be, we'll be bringing you some of the most important auto information from around the world. So stay with us. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nierad, and stick around for more on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jack Nierad back with you. We're glad Chris is back with us after Matt Lorenzo sub for him last week. And great to see him, great to talk to him about what's going on in the car industry. One of the, this is a news segment. One of the big pieces of news this week is Hyundai's announcement that it's going to be spending uh, $12.6 billion. Gee, that's a lot of change. It's <laughs> you know, a lot of money to create software-defined vehicles. And uh, I think you and I both have the same understanding of what that is, Chris. But what's your take on this whole effort, software-defined vehicles? Well, it's an effort to turn the, your car more into an ecosystem, a technological ecosystem like your phone with apps and services. And uh, I would assume there's some subscription services that are going to come along with that. Uh, but essentially, it puts the car in a modular technological, technological state so you can kind of pick and choose what you, what you want to use, I'm guessing. 
Uh, at least that's the case with some some of the concepts I've seen, Jack. I think they'd love to have subscriptions. You know, subscriptions are great, you know, for the business. I don't know if they're great for people, but subscriptions where people are paying monthly, maybe for services they never use. And in the car situation, I mean, you might be paying for navigation uh, on a monthly basis with a subscription. You might be paying for your heated and ventilated seats. Uh, you know, there's a, just so many things that they can charge you for if you let them, <laughs> I think most of us like to buy a car and have it be something finite, right? I mean, we've got it, it's a product, and nothing has to be added and hopefully nothing will be subtracted from it. But in this way, I mean, we buy the car at substantial cost and then there's a bunch of things that we're pay, we have to pay monthly. I'm, I'm not really <laughs> that comfortable with this idea. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm I'm leasing a Volkswagen right now, and I know that the statements that come every month are enough of a, a problem, not a problem, but they don't make me happy to see the statements in the mail. I can only imagine seeing another bill for Apple CarPlay, heated seats, navigation, and everything else on top of that. Yeah. I guess the upside is maybe you can cancel some of this stuff if you never use it. Like if you never use your ventilated seats, you... Uh go out, well, I don't need that. You can turn that off. Feel free to do that. You know, I think all of us have, I certainly do, have apps and subscriptions that I'm paying for that I don't use at all. And uh, this goes back to the, the whole um, you know, workout gym kind of thing, where the, the best customer for a gym is the customer who has a subscription and never shows up, right? Uh, nothing can go wrong. It takes nothing. And in this instance, you can have all these things in your car where you never use, but you're paying for them on a monthly basis. It's uh, big time cash flow for the car companies. Yeah, I just did the exercise a couple of weeks ago. I cleared out, I think, almost $100 a month and just junk that I was paying for that I didn't uh, that I don't use. So that would definitely be me paying for the heated steering wheel or whatever that I never use. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm wondering what the upside is for the consumer. I guess you can add stuff uh, that you haven't gotten when you purchased the car. Uh, that could be positive. Uh, certainly over-the-air updates are good, but I think most companies are doing over-the-air updates now for free. So to suddenly have to pay for over-the-air updates for, say, maps or something like that, uh, you know, again, it's a bit of a head-scratcher. Yeah, I guess you can understand that the price of the vehicle up front was substantially lower, but as we've seen many times recently there, that's not the case. So. Well, we'll see how that goes. They're going to spend $12 million, a billion dollars to figure it out. So <laughs> we'll see. Here is a bit of good news, tempered, leavened with some not so good news. And that is new car prices are starting to come down. There's more supply. That all is good. Uh, this is from J.D. Power. They predicted that lower list prices could come going forward. And we're starting to see that. The bad news is interest rates are up. <laughs> And they're up pretty substantially, and they're likely to go up even higher as they try. The Fed tries to uh, end inflation, or you know, put a put a at least a somewhat of a pause or stop to inflation that's running rampant and making all of us poorer by the day. Average transaction price is right around forty-five thousand dollars for the average new car. That's kind of crazy. And then you're looking at big increases in interest. This is a tough time to buy a car, isn't it? Tough time to buy a car. People are, are edging up into mortgage territory for car payments now. I've seen several instances of people reporting, you know, averages average, averages for some brands and some groups of people above a thousand dollars. So uh, it seems a, a very precarious situation to be in as a, a group of consumers. Yeah, 
And, you know, the push to electric cars is, is pushing this as well because, of course, their transaction prices are much higher. I think the average transaction price for electric cars is something like $66,000, $67,000. So as we move in that direction, but without uh, any ability to lower those prices, because it's hard to find any kind of electric that you'd want uh, for under $40,000, I just don't know where this is going to go. It's, it's a tough time. Certainly. Yeah, and we're more than a year away from the affordable EVs from General Motors and others that, that have promised these models to come out. So uh, there, there's some distance between us and affordable vehicles. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people are just being eliminated from the market. They can't buy a new car at all. They just don't have the wherewithal. They don't have the uh, credit rating, and they, they can't qualify for, for loans at this kind of interest rate. Uh, at the same time, used car prices are going down. That's a double-edged sword for those of us who are trading in, of course, a used car on a new car, if we're going to do that. Uh, if you're buying a used car, I guess that's good news, uh, unless you're trading in another used car on that used car. But at least that index is a little bit down after this incredible trajectory where sometimes used, used vehicles were more expensive on the face of them than uh, the equivalent new vehicle. Yeah, I think the big downside there will be, you know, if you buy from a, a dealership, a lot of times uh, the used cars, the higher they have higher interest rates than new cars. So we may see that be an even more of a, a damping force on that side of the market too. It'll be really interesting to see where things go the end of next year, heck, even into this year, as quickly as things are moving, that we could look at it this completely differently in a couple of months. Right. I mean, we have always said that used vehicles are vehicles in general. Cars are depreciating assets, not necessarily what you want to buy, but that, that's what they have been. And uh, we saw some appreciation in used car values over the course of the last year, you know, spurred by the lack of, of supply of new cars, among other things, lack of used car supply, too. Uh, but now they're reverting to the way things used to be. And my prediction is we're going to see probably some vehicle incentives. We're going to see oversupply again in the market, especially because we're on the verge of recession, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a tough time. And we'll just have to see uh, what happens there. It's, it's kind of frightening times in a lot of ways. Interest rates going up, wages not keeping tra you know, pace with interest rates, vehicle prices still escalating except on the, on the used car side, and maybe a recession that'll throw a lot of people out of work. I mean, it, it could be a really bad deal going forward. I hope, that's, I hope it's not, but it could be. You just brought the rain cloud. We better come up with some good news to back that up with. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's a little bit of good news anyway, and it is Toyota has restarted the uh, BZ4X production. They had a safety recall. <laughs> Go figure, an electric car with, with a safety recall. Uh, this was interesting, too. The reason for the recall is... The wheels would fall off. <laughs> that seems kind of like job one. Keep the wheels on the car. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's what they ran into. Uh, some of the car's wheels would come loose. So um, they recalled not a ton of vehicles. Of course, there weren't a ton of vehicles out, out there in the wild, about 2,700 vehicles um, this past June. And I think they've sorted that out. The uh, Subaru Sol Solterra model was also affected by this. And if you were one of the very few, I mean, that, that vehicle was even in much lower supply than the BZ4X. That's something to be concerned about too, the wheels falling off. Yeah, the uh, I haven't heard much about the Lexus RZ, which has also shared much with those those two vehicles, but it also hasn't released yet. So uh, 
you know, maybe they fixed it before it left. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I hope they're keeping the wheels on that one. And uh, that's a good one. Well, when we come back, we will be uh, doing our road tests and pretty cool road tests, I think, this time around. I mean, you had a very nifty car. Remind me what it is. The Acura Integra? Yeah. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about that. I have not driven it, so I'm looking forward to that. And I was driving the Kia Nero EV. I drove all the new Kia Neros, and uh, EV is probably the one to talk about on this show, so we will. And so when we come back, we'll have both of those road tests. And so stay with us. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad. Thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nerad with you. And it is road test time, and we have cool vehicles to road test and, I, well, I guess one of them is kind of a crossover SUV. I was going to say this, this is a non-SUV segment, but I guess you could describe the Nero as a, as a crossover SUV in the, in the broadest sense. Uh, you have a, the revival of a very vaunted name from Acura. Uh, I think they're excited about it. I'm excited to hear about it. Tell us about the Acura Integra. Yeah, I spent the week driving the Acura Integra. Um, Acura released two main sort of versions of this car. So you can buy one with a continuously variable transmission. Um, I haven't driven one. I'm not going to talk so badly about it, but I think the manual transmission is the way to go with this car. Um, I drove the A-Spec uh, vehicle with technology package. It had about a $37,000 uh, starting price. This vehicle, it's got a 1.6 liter turbocharged four-cylinder engine. It makes 200 horsepower. It's 1.5 liter, sorry, not 1.6 through a five-speed manual transmission to the front wheels. Um, it's not the quickest car around. It does zero to 60 in around seven seconds, but I think that's not ever been the point of the Integra. It's always been more about balance, handling, and sort of a lively attitude, which this car has um, in spades. So it shares a lot with the Honda Civic, Jack. And I'm going to ask you in a second if you've driven the Integra as compared to the Civic. But uh, sitting inside and the driving sensation is a lot like a Civic Si, but it's a little bit more um, upscale. Jack, have you driven both, and what do you think? I have uh, not driven the new Acura Integra. I just haven't been behind the wheel of that yet, so I'd love to do that. I've been talking with the Honda Acura people about getting behind the wheel of that, actually. It is nominated for, the, it's one of the semifinalists in the North American Car of the Year, so I will be testing it probably in a week or so when I'm in, I guess next week when I'm in Michigan, I'll, I'll have a chance to get behind the wheel, I hope. But I hope to have a longer stint in it, too. I mean, it has always been kind of the, the Zooty Civic Si, right? I mean, the, the polished up and, and cool, uh, cool, accurate version. And that's still the case here. There's a lot of Civic that comes through in the driving experience and the sound and the feel. Uh, but it's got an Alcantara and leather interior and bright red, I might add. So very flashy inside, very comfortable. Um, but back to the driving I'll just say the six-speed manual here, Honda and Acura, they do such a good job making the feel of the manual transmission. It's perfectly notchy. It's not, there's not too much resistance. It's very easy to find your gear. The clutch is very, very intuitive. Uh, you kind of jump in and you automatically know how things are supposed to feel, and that's how it goes uh, from there on out. There is rev matching on the downshift here, so you can kind of takes the brain out of it. I think I said is, is how I described it with the Civic a, a while back. Uh, makes downshifts a lot easier. And just the tactile experience of this car, it makes the right noises. It has the right amount of sensation in the steering wheel. There's good feedback. Uh, just like a Civic, it feels lively and ready to go. And that's that's kind of the the attitude that I look for in this car, and it's one that I'm glad that I found. Yeah, no, uh, that so, is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And on the inside, you get all the same things that make the Civic very useful, except for here you've got a big hatchback too. Uh, there's 30 
37.4 I had to look at my nose 37.4 inches of leg room in the back seat jack so uh, me at six feet tall i've got two kids in the booster seats now in the back seat um, we threw my dog back in the back seat everybody had plenty of room the headroom is a little lacking um, in the back it's 36.4 inches the, the roof slopes uh, looks great outside but it does take some of the the practicality away inside uh, there is a seven inch, um, I'm sorry, a nine inch touchscreen display. The seven inch is standard. Mine had the nine inch. Um, the vehicle had a 5.3 inch available touch uh, head up display, a 10.2 inch digital gauge display. This is configurable, but not to the degree that like a Volvo or a BMW is where you can move maps and things around in there. Um, but plenty of information. It's very easily visible. Um, Honda did a really good job. Acura did a really good job with that. Um, but as a practical car, Jack, I'll just wrap up by saying, I think, you know, People talk about the, the the similarities between this and the SI and being disappointed that it is sort of a zooted up SI. But as you said, I think this is the, the attitude that it's always had. And they, they nailed it right on the head with this car. Um, practicality that, you know, the trunk is really big in the hatchback. You've got plenty of backseat space, a lot of great uh, small item storage. So from a usability standpoint, I could get away with this with a family of three or four people. So uh, you get your performance and you can carry people too. So I don't think there's uh, much to complain about in that regard. Yeah, I'm really surprised that they haven't had uh, this all along, right? I mean, the Integra was such a mainstay for them. And, you know, really was one of the cars, uh, you know, along with the Acura Legend, of course, that they put Acura on the map and then they kind of walked away from that nameplate and they went to different kind of naming culture and all that kind of stuff, a different structure there. And it just didn't seem to play, so uh, I'm, I'm glad to see them coming back to this, and hopefully it'll do some good for them. I agree. Yeah. Well, I was driving a vehicle. It is really an interesting uh, experiment, I think, by, from Kia. Kia, of course, wants to be a leader in electric vehicles globally. That's uh, their stated goal out there. And the, the 2023 Kia Nero EV is the value-priced portion of its one-two punch into that market in the American market. Of course, they have the EV6, which is kind of the up-level thing in that market. Nice little, I, I, kind of a crossover SUV. I mean, it's hard to describe what the EV6 is. It kind of looks like a sedan from one angle, and maybe you could say it's a crossover from another. The Nero EV is more definitely crossover, I guess, but it's small. It's a, a very small crossover. It is their uh, value-priced uh, battery electric offering, if you all, uh, you know, something 40,000 plus uh, value priced uh, and can be well more than that. But um, there are also the uh, hybrid and plug-in hybrid versions of the Nero. I got to drive both of those as well. And uh, the hybrid will actually be the one that's the, the big volume seller. It's much, much less expensive, has virtually all the attributes of the EV. Of course, it's not zero emission and, and all that, but it is cool. So let's talk about the EV. Uh, certainly, the, this is the second generation of the Nero EV. They had one before. This kind of continues in that tradition. You know, the EV6 is based on a global battery electric platform. This is based in a, a platform that can also be obviously conventionally powered and, and use hybrid power as well. It's um, not offered in the same trims. The EV is not offered in the same trims as the HEV and the PHEV, they have conventional name trims, LX, EX, and SX. The uh, EV is in, has the wind and the wave trims. Isn't that just green of them? 
<laughs> I thought so. Yeah, it's fine. You know, it, it's funny. It doesn't. They did it with the EV6 too. These are just so. And, and Ford's now doing it with the Bronco and the Mustang Mach E. These trims that that aren't necessarily tied to like a sporty feeling with the car. Uh, I like it. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, and I kind of the ethos. I, I get that. I mean. The federal government and uh, the uh, Congress, I guess the president as well, threw them a uh, big curveball, giant curveball. I mean, it, it broke from here to there. This was a massive curveball with the Inflation Act, which eliminated what they thought would be a $7,500 tax credit uh, that would go to each of their buyers. And now those buyers will not receive that. So uh, as of now, as of uh, us talking to one another right now, they haven't priced this vehicle because they don't know what to do about that. Suddenly they're liable to be very uh, non-competitive. My guess it will be somewhere around $41,000, $42,000, certainly not cheap. It does have nice stuff uh, in the heavily equipped wave trim. It has a power-operated sunroof, heated and ventilated, perforated vegan leather front seats. Don't you love that term, vegan leather? I'm not sure what that means, but uh, it's not leather. It's not not from a cow. Six-speaker Harman Kardon premium sound. So they kind of zooted up a little bit. This would probably be priced around $45,000, $50,000. It has to be less than the EV6, which also is not getting the tax credit. So maybe its price will go up. I mean, we've seen the price of, say, the Ford Lightning just rocket up, rocket up, rocket up. So uh, that might happen too. This is a hatchback vehicle, five-passenger. I think a good-looking vehicle. It's a little longer than the previous Nero. Uh, Overall length is up by two and a half inches. It has, I think, better packaging these days. It has thinner front seats. They use high-strength steel to make the seats, so it adds a significant amount of rear legroom, which is great. More cargo area. They have increased the cargo area in the EV from 18.5 cubic feet to 22.8 cubic feet, almost on par with the HEV, so that is good. And with the seats folded, 63.7 cubic feet. So this is a vehicle that's not very long that has uh, just an enormous amount of cargo space. And uh, pretty fun to drive, I think. This has more horsepower than uh, most of the vehicles in the Nero lineup. It is the most powerful of the vehicles in the Nero lineup, uh, right around 200 horsepower. The HEV only has 139 horsepower, so you can see uh, there's liable to be a, a pretty significant difference. The, the fly, uh, fly in the oatmeal there is it weighs a heck of a lot more. It weighs 700 pounds more. So you're carrying two really heavy people <laughs> you know, around with you when you're driving with it empty. But it, it handles pretty good. These are all front drive vehicles. From what I've told you and what you know about this, what, what's your take on what Kia has done here, Chris? I think they've done about as well as they could given the platform that the vehicle rides on. You know, there are a lot of compromises that sometimes come up when you jam a battery into what used to be a gas vehicle platform. Volvo found that out with the uh, XC40 recharge. So I think they've done a really good job with the space that they have. They've also done a good job sort of drawing some of the upscaleness from some versions of the EV6. Uh, some of the interior photos I've seen look very nice, very upscale for for what would have been a very reasonable price had there been uh, a tax credit. But- yeah, I think they had to chart it up a little bit because they knew it was going to be much more expensive and thus uh, appealing to a different buyer than was going to buy that $27,000 uh, hybrid, which I think is one heck of a value, by the way. We should talk about range because we're talking about EVs, of course. And 
Kia claims 250 miles of range on a charge for this thing. It will charge on fast charger for, um, for to 80% charge, which is kind of standard fast charging kind of max these days, so you don't set fire to things, in about 45 minutes. So it, it charges pretty rapidly compared to some other in the segment. I, they've done a good job, I think, overall with, with the powertrain here. I don't know how many they're going to sell. It's going to, they're going to sell more of these than they're going to sell plug-in hybrids. And, you know, plugging that in, uh, it charges much quicker, of course. I mean, if you're charging this thing at home, uh, you're going to spend a lot of time charging and probably not get a full charge in it. And, and maybe that's just okay. If you don't have a full charge in your watch, it's still going to tell you the time, right? So all that's good. And, uh, you know, I like the vehicle. I, it's hard to rate it given the fact we don't have the price, but I think we have a good estimation of the price. And it's going to be much more expensive than the uh, hybrid version, but I, I st think still a good value uh, as an EV. I agree. And when we come back, we will have a great interview. Tavon Brooks is our guest. He's the vice president of project product management at Jeep, and he has a lot to say about the Wagoneer L. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nierad with you, and thanks so much for being with us. Join us. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nierad with you. We're in Montana with a terrific guest talking about a terrific vehicle, the all-new Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer, kind of from Jeep, right? Well, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it is Tavon Brooks is, is our guest mm -hmm. here. And uh, or I guess I'm your guest in some ways, but thanks for, so much for being on the program. No, thanks for having us. Tavon is uh, vice president of Jeep product marketing here in North America. Mm -hmm. Big job, fun mm -hmm. job. And you get fun to job, be in yeah. places like this, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. marketing a, a great vehicle like this. Uh, what excites you about Wagoneer and Wagoneer L in particular, the long wheelbase version? Yeah, well, you know, we launched Wagoneer a year ago. And um, and it's and for us as a premium extension of the brand, and I'm so thrilled that we are we've had success so far with the model. I mean, we're number two in terms of share um, amongst all the short wheel base uh, vehicles, and um, and so I'm excited what we what, what we've done so far with the vehicle. Now we've stretched it, and um, and a lot of people ask me, well, why did you take already a big vehicle and stretch it even more to make it make it longer and, and bigger? And it's, it's quite simple, like 30% of the segment actually shops for more cargo space in, um, in the 40 cubic foot range, and they do not shop um, right. in the lower. And which you is, couldn't even reach these people if you didn't make the vehicle bigger, right? I mean, that 30% would no, be lost to you if right, you didn't and, do that. Right, and, and for sure, for sure. Because when you look at um, how they use a the vehicle, so they use all the seats, and they take road trips, and so they need the space to put all the stuff. And so the cubic feet that we have in the standard wheelbase is quite frankly not enough. They need more. So that's why we did the, the long wheelbase. Yeah. Well, and you have real world uh, experience with this, right? You've got a big family. I've got a big family. I've got a five-person yeah. family, all girls. I think you've got a six-person family, I do. all girls. I do. Tell us I about do. traveling with, with women, right? I do. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's with, with, with women, it's uh, anybody in general. Like, you want to bring all the stuff you think you need. And so, like, I feel like... And a little more. My, and a little more. And I feel like with my kids, I'm, I'm looking at them and I'm saying, well, it's just a weekend trip. <laughs> and we have all this stuff. And for me as the dad, you know, I feel like I'm the one that has to pack the vehicle and so get all the stuff ready. And just uh, um, in my past, when I've used, uh, when we went to travel, like we always ran out of space. 
And so, um, but with the L, I'm telling you, like with that amount of cargo space, like you, you want, you'll find yourself putting in more stuff just to keep, just to make this, you know, the open space you have, just to, uh, just to fill the, the, the cargo area. Yeah. So, yeah. Let's backtrack a little on Wagoneer because this is a segment you haven't been in maybe forever, but certainly uh, in this kind of space, right? Mm -hmm. This this size of vehicle, mm -hmm. three-row vehicle, it's always kind of, Jeep's done it a couple of times, not particularly successfully. This mm -hmm. time around, absolutely successfully. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the rationale to, to go big like this in, in, in that? Well, I mean, to be quite honest, we started this mm -hmm. back in the 60s when we launched the Wagoneer at the time. Like, we started what it meant to be a large premium SUV. And we exited the market 30 years ago, and and now and you know now we're back. So, um, but we we see a lot of at least in the data that I look at, a lot of our customers who are in Grand Cherokees at some point have growing families. They're getting bigger. They want more space. We did the L, which is great. But then as your kids get bigger and bigger, you know you, right. you start to have more and more things. You need a larger vehicle, and so we we thought um, what a great point in time to to come back into the marketplace. With, um, with something that we started yeah. with the Wagoneer, yeah. Grand Wagoneer. Well, and the three row is the key to this. And the three row that really is accepting of full-size adults. I mean, mm -hmm. we see a lot mm -hmm. of third rows. I, I, mm -hmm. I call mm -hmm. myself Mr. Three Row sometimes because I'm testing so many SUVs with third rows. Mm -hmm. Many of them are not particularly accommodating. Yeah. But in the Wagoneer, it definitely is accommodating for oh, adults, for right? Oh, for sure, for sure. Like I was joking earlier today uh, with you guys, I literally take meetings in the third row. You know, because it's actually quite comfortable, not just the fact that we have uh, almost uh, you know, a class-leading uh, legroom back there, 36 inches, but I feel like I can sit back there, recline the seat, put my laptop on the center console in the second row, and have a meeting like I'm sitting in my office at home, you know? And so, like, uh, I'm really proud of the third row package. And, and, and in fact, when we, as a selling point of the vehicle, we have a lot of customers that come in from other models, and we tell them first thing, get in the third row. Because they know, like, once they get back there and they see how better our package is, yeah. they understand why we did what we did, you know, and why we're selling, you know, how we're selling today. Right. Yeah. And with a longer wheelbase version, uh, access is even better, right? You have a longer rear door, which helps you. We do, uh, yeah. It's, uh, the vehicle's 12 inches longer, I think, than the... Yes, it's 12 inches longer. Um, the wheelbase is 7 inches and then 5 inches to the cargo. So that allowed us a little bit more space to allow easy access in and out of the third row. Yeah, and but the real key is the added cargo space, right? I mean, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. something you had to have. Is it for uh, commercial use too? I mean, we see a lot of these vehicles or vehicles of this size used mm -hmm. to take people to the airport or mm -hmm. you know valet use. Mm -hmm. Is that mm -hmm. one of the? That that is no, that is one of the use cases for sure, and we're dibble and dabbling in that uh, ourselves. But um, but yeah, the longer wheel base is more, you know, for could be used for you're saying black transport, executive transport type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I can see a good use case for that. Yeah, yeah. But also, you, you have, there are really two vehicles here to talk about, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's the Wagoneer L, and then there's the Grand Wagoneer L. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Describe for our listeners the differences. The, the Between different, the two? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, and there's stock differences. So the Wagoneer is more, what we call more mainstream large. So it's more for your, for your family's eight-passenger seating. It's more focused on safety with all the suite of safety features that we have. Um, the Grand Wagoneer is... In fact, what it's called, it's the Grand. It's the more premium model. It has the more upgraded engine. Even the to the small little details of how the exterior design is, is done with 
the um, I think they showed you today with the grill surrounds and the lighting and stuff like that. It's meant they to showed us premium. their etchings, right? Yeah, 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 the etchings. Yeah, you can see <laughs> right. American written in the in the grill. Um, but just how the the attention of detail that is paid attention to when we did the grand uh, shows you that that's who we're going up against. We're going up against the premium part of the segment. Right. And so that's what it's meant to do. Yeah, so in, in some areas, I, I guess with the Wagoneer, you're probably looking at the Chevy Tahoe as mm -hmm. a logical mm -hmm. competitor. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. Ford Expedition is another logical competitor. And then you're looking at Cadillac Escalade and, and those. For the grand on, side. On, yeah, for yes. the grand side. Yes, pretty as, much. As logical uh, competitors. Mm -hmm. Certainly infotainment is uh, important. Mm -hmm. And Wagoneer has done a great job with that. Tell us a bit about your take on, on infotainment and how important that is. Yeah, I mean, well, in the Grand Wagoneer, we have 75 inches of screen. <laughs> so that tells, you, yeah. that tells you how important we think it is to have a nice infotainment package. But, um, but no, it's, um, for us, we put in the, the same radio, the upgraded R1 radio that's in the, the Grand Cherokee. Um, and so we, we find that uh, our customers love it. You know, it's very easy to use, very intuitive. Um, and even with the uh, the passenger screen, so we have on the passenger side a screen that that uh, the passenger can watch Netflix from or mirror their phone. I've even uh, admittedly mirrored my computer screen. I can plug my my laptop to it, and it and it mirrors the screen as a second monitor. So so we take we take that very seriously, um, giving customers something they can use, you know, and that's. Uh, and that's um, really me for them, so. Yeah, yeah. And basically have all the comforts of home, if not more or more so, or are the entertainment from home mm -hmm. uh, with Fire TV, mm -hmm. you know, streaming services, multiple streams in the same vehicle, mm -hmm. you know, so you don't have arguments about what to watch. Right, uh, right. All of those things are really, really good, yeah. good features. I it think. is, it is. And I'm even thinking about, like, anecdotally for me, um, you know, I, I, I have a Grand Wagoneer myself, and I've noticed like an eerie silence, like when I, when the kids are in the car, it's really it's like it's a phenomenon so so cool to watch. Like they all get in, they all put on their headphones. I got one one daughter on this screen, the other daughter's on that screen. My wife is on the passenger screen, and I can just focus on driving. You know, just get to where I go, and no one's arguing about anything. So it's a great um, package that we have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And new powertrain, or really interesting powertrains mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. for this vehicle. Walk us through that. Yeah, yeah. So we have uh, two new two new engines, uh, the Hurricane and Hurricane 510. Um, the Hurricane is for the Wagoneer. It's 420 horsepower, uh, two miles per gallon improvement over the V8 that it replaces um, in Series 2 and Series 3 uh, Wagoneer. And then on the Grand Wagoneer side, we have the Hurricane 510, which is a, um, the 510 is a nod to its horsepower. It has 510 horsepower. And um, that also has two mile per gallon improvement combined on the on that on the fuel efficiency so yeah great so, stuff so good advancements there in terms of great stuff trend. what most excites you about this vehicle overall mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's got to be something that kind of wow this yeah. is, we, we really did something great here yeah i mean i i think from a product perspective um the engineers and the industrial team knocked that out of the park i mean the car has all the best in class claims you want in the segment from an infotainment perspective top notch um, and from a technology perspective, it has everything you could want in a large EV today. Um, what excites me the most about it all is that, like, like I said, we exited the market 30 years ago, we're now back. And it's so interesting to see, like Grand Cherokee has a very loyal base. Seven million people have bought Grand Cherokees. And it's, it'll be so fun to watch 
how this how we grow this customer base right yeah like we like you know we because now they have some place to graduate to right right, right. into into for, yeah from grand cherokee into wagoneer grand wagoneer but even pulling from outside of jeep mm. like we're going to attract new customers that would have never considered us before because we didn't have a vehicle that size to go after so i think like watching that the seven million from from grand cherokee it would be interesting to see 10 years later how big the wagoneer customer base grows to right you know I think towing is important to this customer. You know, mm -hmm. what, uh, tell me about the considerations for towing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we have best-in-class towing, 10,000 pounds, and we maintain that with the engines. So Wagoneer still has that claim. Yeah, a good chunk of the consumer base in the large, they tow. They tow their boat, they tow their UTVs, and et cetera, et cetera. So all of our Wagoneer, Grand Wagoneers are standard with a tow package. And then you can get a heavy-duty tow package that adds a little bit more into that. Um, uh, but for the but yeah, it's very important to that customer base. Yeah. Yeah. I drove up here and we we're in in a ranch uh, outside Bozeman in, mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. Montana. Uh, just gorgeous up here. You know, perfect day too. Thanks, thanks for the perfect day. But uh, I was in a Wagoneer, and it struck me, wow, this is an incredible value here. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, because I'm I'm getting a lot of what I'd get in Grand Wagoneer. It's pitched as being mass market, but it's mass market. At a, at a at particular a level, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm, tell us about that, that thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, Jeep, and especially Grand Cherokee, plays the same way, where it's not really considered, for most consumers to be mainstream, it's a little bit above, mm -hmm. you know, more into the premium space. And so the same thing with Wagoneer is even how we've contented the vehicle, it is not contented the same as a base, let's say Chevy, et cetera. Yeah. Like it has a little bit more. It's not a Tahoe LS. So it, yeah. Right, right. So it has a little bit more content. And so it's, it can command that premium of what Jeep does, you know, in the full size with Grand Cherokee. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What can, can the consumer look forward to? I know you can't tell <coughs> about future product, but, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. certainly we hear a lot about electrification, hybridization. Mm -hmm. You have some, uh, I guess, the most popular uh, best-selling plug-in hybrid, uh, you know, is a Jeep. Can we look to something like that going forward? Yeah, yeah. So we actually announced a few weeks ago that by 2025, all of the segments that we play in will, will have an electrified variant, including the large. So by 2025, we'll have a large SUV electrified variant um, that customers can choose to, uh, to purchase. Perfect. Yeah. What else should our uh, consumer listeners and viewers know about uh, Wagoneer and the Grand Wagoneer? Well, I mean, in Jeep in general, our future is bright. To your point about electrification, um, we are full steam ahead. For us, it's not just about compliance. It's about how do we sell capability? How do we sell the value to the customer and what they can get out of an electrified powertrain? Um, so that's really, you know, what we, and we have four uh, bed models that's going to come by 2025. So battery electric vehicles, battery electric vehicles, right, right. by 2025. So um, the future is bright with Jeep. Well, Tavon Brooks, thanks so much for talking with me. I appreciate Good. it. Thank you. And thanks Thank for talking to our listeners. And uh, stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. This is Jackie Red with you. It is listener question time. Uh, we love taking your listener questions. Please send them to uh, editor at drivingtoday.com, editor at drivingtoday.com, where we will... Look to answer them on an upcoming show. And here's the question. It is from Becky. She's in Bend, Oregon. Very simple question from Becky. She's a woman of few words, apparently. She says, what is your favorite minivan? 
And I do love a good minivan. Uh, you do, Becky. My favorite is going to be two of these, and I'm gonna. I'm kind of tied, strung. I'm I'm torn between these two: the Kia Carnival and the Toyota Sienna. I think the Kia Carnival has great styling. It's a really nice interior and great tech. The Toyota has a hybrid powertrain, all-wheel drive, uh, and a nice interior as well. So I think it really depends on if you need all-wheel drive and want a hybrid, you can just go for the Toyota. But my favorite is between those two, the Carnival or the Sienna. You know, you stole my two, Chris, and we have not collaborated on this before we answer this question, but those are the exact two that I was going to identify. The Nered family spent uh, a week in Texas uh, in September, right around Labor Day, and the vehicle of choice there was the Sienna minivan, and I just fell in love with that thing. It was so good all around. We drove all over the place. We drove from Fort Worth down to Austin and back. We were at a lake house uh, around Dallas for a while. We did a lot of driving with uh, five of us, three three women and their, <laughs> and their luggage, or I, I guess four women, three three daughters and my wife and their luggage which was a ton of luggage, and we got it all in there somehow. So it was just superior. And the Kia Carnival, beautifully finished, almost like a limousine inside, depending on how uh, you get it fixed up or what, what trim level you get. So those are really superior, which is interesting that we don't mention a couple of the go-tos, which are the Honda Odyssey and the uh, Chrysler Pacifica. There's nothing wrong with those either. Uh, I just think that Honda, I'm sorry, that Kia and Toyota did such a great job with these the latest redesigns. It's hard to ignore those two. Yeah, they're just terrific, uh, terrific minivans. And, you know, I can't say enough about the Sienna, and I haven't spent as much time in the Carnival, but uh, the Sienna was perfect, I'll tell you, for that family of five with all their stuff. Just just awesome. Well, I think that's our show for this week. And Chris, I'm so glad to see you. So glad to have you back on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for letting me come back. And I will say, everybody, if you like what you heard, please check in with the sportsmapradio.com website. There you can find our show on the Saturday morning schedule. You can also find our podcast on all the major platforms and a radio formatted version of the show. Yeah. We're on YouTube these days, too. And uh, that's kind of fun. And uh uh, that's good. We want to thank the SportsMap Radio Network stations for carrying our show. And most of all, we want to thank you all for listening to America on the Road. We appreciate it. And we hope you join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road.